like tonight, listening to Void, 1680 AM, and I'm Austin Wilson for the Ledger Writing Podcast, which is a red light blinking in the night. Welcome to today's episode, where I talk to Ken Lowry of Bannerless Games, the writer of the solo tabletop role-playing game Void, 1680 AM, one of the most unique games that I've ever come across and something that I was instantly drawn to. I talked to Ken about his writing experiences outside of games, how those influence his game design, and the other things that he loves to do. Uh, It's a lot of process talk, but also we talk about games and writing for your job, not writing for your job, a lot of stuff you've probably heard us talk about here on Ledger before, but this is the first person I've gotten to talk to who's written games, and it was a super fun conversation. I was so happy to have Ken on. Uh, He has a game right now that is being crowdfunded uh, on Crowdfunder called No Tell Motel. That's his next solo game. We talk about that. We talk about, oh gosh, the movies pump up the volume and talk radio. Uh, We didn't talk about Pontypool, weirdly, but uh, I'm sure that also has an influence on Ken uh, because it's another fun radio movie. Um, Ken broadcasts recordings that people send in from playing void 1680 am those are on his youtube channel which i've linked in the show notes uh, everywhere where this is posted uh, he also broadcasts them from the am transmitter he has in his own garage which is very cool and he still does it and yes i will be sending ken a recording um, this is my chat with Ken about writing solo tabletop role-playing games, writing for marketing, uh, which he and I both do, um, writing fiction, writing comic books, a lot of stuff. He's, he's written a lot of things, but the games are really what drew me to, to him and his work. So make sure you check out No Tell Motel. As of this recording, it is still crowdfunding on Crowdfunder, No Tell Motel by Bannerless Games and Ken. So make sure you check that out and support him. His stuff is all available on itch.io. So swing there and check out Bannerless Games as well. Uh, check out my stuff as always, AustinRWilson.com. Also, I've been publishing stuff on itch. My first volume of Dynasty of Blood, a tabletop role-playing uh, short story I'm going to be doing in volumes is up now. And it is about some people playing a game in the 80s that doesn't really exist, but I made up called Dynasty of Blood uh, based on a lot of stuff that I love. So... That's uh, pay what you want on itch right now. So go check that out. And as always, like, subscribe, share the podcast, all those things. Um, But for now, here is my chat with Ken Lowry. So Void 1680 AM, that's how I found Bannerless Games. Um, Is Bannerless Games just you? Is, Is there anyone else involved in Bannerless? It is just me. Uh, actually, it was going to be me and a few other people, and that was the name that we came to together. It was my old D&D group. Um, we had an initial thought to let's do like a, essentially a Patreon-supported, almost a magazine yeah. uh, is what we were thinking initially, and this was uh, immediately pre-COVID um, and immediately pre-me and two of those people getting a different job that was much busier than we'd been previously. Uh, so Banalist ended up just sat kind of like fallow for about a year, uh, all through 2020, essentially. Uh, And then I just decided to pick it up and run. And I kind of took the name again, just to make like if they wanted to start making stuff, it would just be ready to go. And I have a couple things published and it'd be out there. Um, So, yeah, no, it was initially a group of people, but ended up just being me. Um, So I kind of interchangeably refer to myself when I'm as author of the game as either Ken Lowry or Banalist Games. You know, Uh, I do get to make fun logo and everything. So there is that Uh, void 1680 AM is how I found Banalist. Like I, like I said, um, Mm -hmm. you have a YouTube channel. Um, 
you have an actual do you still have the the am broadcaster i do and, and, yeah. you, and you still broadcast from it i do uh yeah it's in the garage it's about i don't know 20 yards that way uh directly in front of me um yeah, no, I got the AM transmitter, and that's kind of how it started, is I just got the AM transmitter long before it was a game. It was just something I wanted to do. Um, so I got a bonus one year at work and got the AM transmitter and got the uh, range extender uh, a little bit later, which is a little pricier. It was like 500 bucks for that. It's basically a big antenna on top of the garage. Uh, and also, thanks to COVID, there was this sort of cottage industry that sprung up for hospitals, churches, whatever, to be able to do these short range broadcasts for their parking lots like you pull in and tune in and get instructions or whatever so there was a, a site i found that just kind of had these packages ready to go um of like here's your transmitter here's your antenna uh, and all kinds of stuff if you need to have signage that says tune into this whatever you know like they make all that stuff um so it was all just kind of there waiting for me uh, almost this like lifelong dream i like to joke and i still do i've had this bookmark on my bar that's moved from browser to browser for close on 20 years now that is how to buy a radio station um <laughs> it is officially beyond my means uh considerably dallas is a weirdly competitive radio market um so that is not going to happen um but yeah the am transmitter thing up to a certain like wattage for the tower it's free to do you don't need a license you don't need to check with anyone um you can broadcast whatever you want so i just thought okay uh no one may ever listen to this but i'll have the satisfaction of figuring out how to set it up and my wife can attest when I got the original AM transmitter, and it just looks like a little black stereo box like you'd see in a, in a stereo setup. Um, and that broadcast maybe covers the house and the yard, like very short range, just that yeah. little box. Um, but I would, I got that. I got a little handheld radio with uh, earbuds, walked around testing radio frequencies, walked around the neighborhood, seeing what was clear on the AM band. Um, and then when I got in, I figured out 1680 was the clearest. That's way up at the top of the dial. So that's what I settled on when I got the actual tower. Uh, and yeah, pretty much you can hear it if you're in my neighborhood. Um, if you're like driving through my neighborhood and I always want like the idea of there's a high school in the neighborhood, just teenagers randomly stumbling on this and saying, what the fuck is this? What is going uh, yeah. on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The mystery element of it, the, the sort of, it's so one-sided in a way. It's just this thing that's out there uh, and you can't really triangulate it. You can't really talk back to it. It's just there. Um, and you have to accept it on its terms, uh, essentially. I didn't think about it until just now, but that is such a great metaphor for writing, yeah. uh, and yeah. for especially writing and not being someone who like, I don't have an agent currently. So mm -hmm. if I'm writing, I'm putting my own stuff out and, uh, I don't know who's going to be seeing it, paying attention to it. And yeah. There's something similar to that with having a an AM station that maybe be, maybe will be heard by no one, but maybe will be heard by some. Yeah, and it's 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 the thrust of the game. I like to say, you know, it's about radio, but it's really just about making stuff. Um, it, whatever it is, if you're a writer, sculptor, dancer, whatever it is, you don't really know the impacts you're going to have on people. If you're going to reach anyone, how they're going to react to it, you can't control these things. Not really. Um, so it was sort of a reminder to me to enjoy the process. Um, to find the satisfaction there versus trying to hit a certain outcome. And, and those things are cool. And this game has been well-received somewhat ironically. Um, so I have gotten like concrete feedback about it. Um, but the whole idea is like, that can't be the thing you live for. Um, at least that's what I'm telling myself. Um, <laughs> that, that the process of, in this case, building the playlist, building up your banter, talking it through. Um, yeah, no. It, so it's just having this thing and it's done. And no matter what, uh, that can't be taken away from you. You made this thing. 
Um, and that's, yeah, no, it, it is, like I say, it's about radio, but it's kind of about putting anything out there at all. So let's talk about the, the, the sort of the path to writing um, Void 1680, because we talked a little bit in, uh, via email before this, and uh, we talked about, you know, other things that we've written, um, and you have mentioned a lot of other stuff that aren't games, mm-hmm. uh, comic books, a book that you wrote with some friends. Um, let's talk about your writing life outside of games and sort of what leads to Void 1680 and, and how you got there. Sure. Yeah. Uh, no, I've always, always been writing uh, my kind of joke response, half joke response. Every time one of those uh, Twitter or blue sky prompts goes around, why do you write kind of things? And I always just say, can't not. Right. Um, like, that's it. Like, like I can come up with a lot of really, really long answers, but I'm just always doing something. Yeah. Um, it's a basic restlessness. Um, so I, and, and that, and a, just a curiosity and honestly just getting easily bored. Um, so wanting to try different things, hop around, um, I spent a lot of my, especially my twenties and early thirties, trying lots of different avenues to see what I liked doing. Uh, and also just to, to stretch myself, like, well, even if I don't like this process, for instance, um, me and some friends, we did three series, three seasons of a web series. Um, it's still on YouTube somewhere. Uh, that was a very long time ago now, 15 plus years ago. Um, and so much of filming is, uh, of creating something like that is honestly pretty tedious. Yeah. Um, but it's finding the joy and finding the skill sets that are that are interesting to you and leaning in what's what you finding those things that you like about it, essentially. Um, so I feel like I have been closing in on what I want to do. Um, games is unique in that for the most part, I've been doing them entirely alone. And a lot of other things I've done, like comic books, whatever, I'm pretty much by necessity since I'm only a writer, not an artist, is working with the team, working with a partner, which I honestly love. Um, it's fun to be surprised by someone who's working with you and is on the same wavelength and to come back with something that is different than you pictured, but great. Um, that's a really wonderful thing. Um, I love getting pages back from scripts that I turned in, um, was really cool. Um, so I feel like, sorry, backing up a little bit, the, the Twitter account was fake AP style book. That was the big viral blow up thing. We ended up doing, um, a book called write more good based on that, which was a lot of fun. And I feel like we, did it right we didn't do like a lot of people tried to buy ad space on the account and try to do like a lot of stuff we didn't agree with so we could decide as a team because this wasn't our income and because it was not planned at all uh we could just decide to say yes or no and keep it pure in its way um it was a great experience great learning experience i got an agent i learned very fast how to work with publishing and all that um but it was something it it was not planned none of that was planned how do you plan a viral account um it just kind of happened um but I stepped into comics and that was a lot more deliberate. Um, it was something I loved uh, as a reader. It was something I was really interested in creating and it had that built in almost call and response between me and collaborators. Here's what I'm thinking in my head. How do you see it as well? And kind of finding something greater than either of us had come up with on our own uh, and creating that piece. Uh, uh, and I did that for about eight years, um, wrote and self-published comics. Uh, I had a couple things uh, uh, get published by other folks, but for the most part, I was writing, I was project managing, and I was paying page rates and printing costs myself out of pocket. Um, and was a great experience. I love going to conventions. Emerald City Comic Con's going on right now, and I'm super jealous I'm not there. That's the one I miss the most. Um, I was doing a lot of those for a while. Um, but on the flip side, so much of it is out of your control. Um, so I would write a comic, and there's some I've got that I have that I've published that I love, but 
by the time they were printed and out in the world, I'd written the script two or three years previously. Um, so how did I feel about it then? Eh, you know, like, how do you yep. feel about something you wrote three years ago? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Very just like, Oh, okay. that's the thing that happened. Um, games. I jumped into in early 2021 uh, after it, after the start of 2020, I decided, okay, no more comics. I've spent eight years, many thousands of dollars on printed costs and page rates and travel for conventions and all that stuff and got nowhere with it, uh, essentially. Um, so I thought, okay, early 2021, I've spent a year in 2020, not really doing anything for myself, just doing work. Um, and it was a new job and we were a startup and in, unlike pretty much everyone else in COVID, we, re we really blew up. So I was busy, busy, but I was unfulfilled. Um, so in early 2021, I may have been playing RPGs since I was 14 years old. So long time ago now, um, nearly, oh God, yeah, nearly 30 years. Um, <laughs> but I finally said, okay, this is something I bought some cheap, uh, uh, design software. The affinity suite is kind of like Adobe light. And it's like, if you get it on sale, it's like 25 bucks. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so this perfect storm hit in February, 2021, literally when we had a big snowstorm here, which we don't typically get, which knocked out our home internet for like a week. Um, and I still, we still had power, heat, water, all that stuff was fine. Just no internet. Um, and I had just the night before that happened, watched a video about how to use this layout software. Um, so, so I just spent that week, uh, working on my first game stuff. Uh, and it was cool because so much of it relied on, uh, like it was all just me. Like I could just do only exactly what I wanted to do. Let's figure this out. It was teaching myself new skills. It was trying to get an idea down on paper, uh, and getting it out there. Um, and that really, you know, I got enough good reception. These were like, I just did little tables people can use to like spice up their game. Um, the first one I did was these weird, uh, like generate this weird saint figure for your game. And the idea was in D D there are warlocks who have patrons and they tend to come in specific categories. And I was like, okay, but that's not weird enough. Let's think something weird. Um, so the chart was like, let's basically create these quote unquote saints who just have these like weird tools of office and weird blessings that they give you and weird things that they require of you. So I just made this table um, and it was damn satisfying to do. Yeah. Um, when you look at it, it's just, it's one page, it's a simple table, no big deal. Um, but it kind of got me into, got me thinking into what I like so much about game writing, which is you have to think laterally, you have to take one idea and turn it into 10 ideas um, that are on that same thing. And table writing is a lot like that because, you know, it's, it's almost like it's structured like a Mad Lib. Like here's a sentence you're filling in. My patron is blank. They cover the aspect of blank. They do this blank, blank, blank. And how many different table entries can I get that still make that formula make sense? Um, so it's a real fun framework to work in. Uh, and that really got me thinking on game design in general. Um, and something I like about comic illustration as well is how little can I give you that's still enough for you to complete the picture. That was my next um, question yeah. is how important it is to focus on the things we're not writing, especially in something like uh, TTRPGs where you're building a framework for people to tell their own stories. Yeah. How do you, how do you do how, like, how do you balance that in TTRPG versus something like comics where you are trying to do in both places, you're yeah. what you just said, trying to do the most with the least. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's always a fun challenge. Like of, of all the social media, Twitter spoke most to me because of the reduced space. Uh, even in high school, I was always a good headline writer at the school paper. I just like the 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 process of boiling things down. My first 
real salaried 401k job in writing was was copy editor um and a lot of what i did was headline writing and and was hey this thing is over by 15 column inches you got to cut some stuff down and going printing it out and going through with the red pen what can i take out and not uh undermine the meaning of this article um and i just honestly i just love that like it's just fun to do um it's a great challenge and and game writing especially solo games which is mostly what i've done um so much of it uh, my games other games is prompt based i give you a question or something like that and you answer it and that's kind of the completion of the story or the completion of that piece of the story i start you finish something again something greater than what either of us brought individually emerges from that um and yeah it's i I don't have a formula for you on on how that how i do that um but for me the first thing i try to nail down for any project anything i've ever done comics games whatever is nail down the tone um what is the tone of this thing is it uh ornate is it funny is it dry is it really spare um is it really uh just like what does it sound like what does it feel like um and that will get me a, a long way down the road to what the prompts should be like um and especially with something like uh void it's kind of tricky uh, because originally I designed it to be a one-off game. You play it once, you're done, that's it. So the prompts could be fairly specific on on what kinds of songs I want you to think about. Uh, but then I just sort of almost as an afterthought, I was like, ah, oh, what if we did this like legacy option where you could come back and do more broadcasts and hear from these same callers again? I was like, well, then you got to be, be able to use these. Like, like you got to be able to use the same set of prompts over and over and over and still get something fresh every time. Um, so yeah, it was a real uh the first draft all the prompts were way too specific and when i realized this thing about repeating broadcasts was going to be a thing and when i shared it with other designers they were really excited about that so i was like oh okay all right this is the thing i got to think about this to really step it back a little bit um and and again kind of give you enough of you know um for instance i think one of the prompts was uh, a favorite song from the year you were born which is i think pretty narrow uh and i broadened it down to or broadened it to like a, a favorite song from when your parents were young or something like that, which could be, you know, for my parents, that could be Motown. That could be Fleetwood Mac. That could be sure. whatever CCR, the Beatles, like it's, yeah. it could, it could be so many things. Um, and it's, yeah, no, it, it's this just all you're creating with the player um, where you kind of set up the framework and they, they complete it. And in a way to them, it was obvious what the answer is um, when they see that question. So for for a lot of people, and for me for a while, the concept of a tabletop role-playing game means a group. Mm-hmm. There's a group of people. And I found myself really drawn to solo games, uh, mm-hmm. probably because I spend a lot of time by myself anyway sure. writing. And that's one thing that I wondered is, uh, do you find yourself trying... I guess to to flip the concept of of what game even means, you know, winning and losing, and mm-hmm. um, but then also of trying to steer someone away from feeling like they're doing something that's different than than this other thing. Like, mm-hmm. um, it, is that in your mind at all as you're writing a solo uh, solo game? Yeah, it's. Um... So I have two big ones. There's Void and then one before it was Lighthouse at the End of the World, which is a much more, in some ways, traditional solo game. And that's a journaling game. You get prompts and you kind of write what happens in the voice of your character. Um, And it's very much like many journaling games, kind of a 
it it's it helps you generate a story it helps you write it gives you things to react to how does your character react to this how does your character react to that and it's very in a way um it's a lot more prescriptive uh than void is in terms of this is the setting you are this person this is the stuff that's happening to you how do you react how do you react and um void is way more open-ended and was not initially um but it was much more like I kept wanting to write it in this sort of spooky tone. Uh, and I think much of the art and so that can kind of lends itself to that reading. Um, but I stopped myself on that one and said, okay, well, that's how I would play this game. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't need to make that everyone else's experience. The whole idea is music is very personal to each individual person, which songs resonate with them and why, and which songs are attached to what memories I need to not overly dictate that. Um, it's funny. I was listening to a podcast uh, like an hour ago, um dice exploder and they did an episode about solo games uh and and specifically the 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 conceit of dice exploder is a designer brings a single mechanic they really like and spend the whole episode talking about that one mechanic and this one was prompts um and there's kind of in their discussion two sort of schools of thought developed is basically am i giving you a tool to reflect on yourself or am i giving you a piece of myself to reflect on of me the author um, and I don't think there's a right or wrong answer to that. It's it's the conceit of any given game. One of the biggest games in the field is Thousand Year Old Vampire, and that is very much this game is like kind of forcing circumstances on you. Um, and it's it's a, got a very wide array of prompts, so no two games are alike on that one. Um, but it's very much this is the experience. Uh, you can't kind of plan what your character is going to do because the game might say, oh, you spend a year living in a cave. What about that? Um, and I kind of played both of those poles a little bit uh lighthouse is you still have to determine who your character is why you ended up in this place how you react to these things or whatever but it's a very fixed kind of place in a tone and the tone is very nailed down this is this big gothic horror kind of thing uh, and um yeah with void i just kind of wanted to go completely in the other direction um i wanted to provide as much of a blank slate as possible um there's still myself in there that's inevitable um, but I, you know, I, I wanted to just set up, here's what is appealing about AM radio to me. Um, here's what it means. Um, uh, and for you, the kind of freedom of expression idea where FM is very ruled by committee, ruled by advertisers, whatever AM is like, just be you man. be, be outlaw radio, be punk DJ, be art bell, you know, just be whatever that thing is, uh, and just amp it up a little bit. Um, and yeah, the thing I've discovered with void is i've gotten a lot of these affiliate broadcasts where people who play the game submit their show to me and then i broadcast them uh, on youtube and then on the am transmitter um is people take it to some wild places um which is fun because it's brought that element of surprise into a solo game for me which you know it's so often you put the thing out in the world it's gone like with lighthouse i'm aware a lot of people have bought it i've heard of maybe three stories people have written Whereas Void, I've got three dozen broadcasts, okay. <laughs> like, and God knows how many others are out there. I just find playlists on Spotify. Well, I um, listened to to some of the ones on YouTube yeah. uh, before we chatted, and um, well, even even just the the me being drawn to the game, I do mm-hmm. think there was part of it that is I'm just maybe a sort of similar radio nerd, <laughs> like uh, that that was a yeah. thing that drew me, like. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure I'm not the first person who's asked you if you've watched pump up the volume. I'm sure you have. Sure. <laughs> yeah. 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 Pump up the volume. Uh, the number one, a, a one inspiration was talk radio. Dude. Um, ta- that was the next yeah. one I was going to ask about that movie changed <laughs> yeah. my life. Yeah. Uh, I, th- it seriously blew me away. Um, mm-hmm. It made it so I can't watch any other Oliver Stone movie. That one yeah. 
it just hits a and, and the the I've, I haven't ever gotten to see the stage play, but I, I, I desperately yeah. want to. Um, but I would imagine those things played a part in me, you know, being drawn yeah. to your to your uh, to your game is I, I'm trying to sort of figure out if if you hit a point in what was it was it always your intention to broadcast people's re- recordings um it was not what i set out to do it was not kind of part of the original idea yeah um the original idea was was so straightforward and it was so simple and like i said it kind of had like a, a vaguely horror bent to it and you know if, if talk radio is my number one inspiration you know it's probably not gonna be like a fun time um you know <laughs> like right. unlike the premise of this is you don't know who's listening like that guy knows everyone who's listening to him <laughs> right uh, and it does and it does not work out uh yeah no um no it was it was honestly very simple it was very tonally like controlled it was this kind of spooky whatever um thing and uh as i sort of started to think about the final output of the game that was very important to me because a lot of journaling games you have a journal at the end of it or um there are a few audio log games that i really like uh the wretched is is the big one um and in that one you're um kind of in a scenario like the movie alien uh, where you're the last survivor in a spaceship, all your crewmates are dead. There's something scuttling around in the hull outside your ship, and you're doing these audio logs that you're trying, like you're like distress beacons, essentially. Here's what happened today. Here's what I'm thinking about. Someone, please find me. Uh, and that was like such a cool, impactful idea to me. This the artifact, the thing that you have when you're done with play, is this thing. Um, there was another one uh, based on that called Long Haul 1983, where you are a long haul trucker. And the conceit is you're kind of going through this America that is sort of having this weird supernatural, almost, I want to say apocalypse, but it's almost like thinning out is happening. And you, at the end of every day in game, you call and leave a message at home. Uh, And that's such a cool idea. Uh, And I just really like, what's this output? What's the final thing? What is the player left with when they're done? And the idea of just a playlist is cool. And I've gotten as I built a zillion playlists in my time, but it just didn't feel like enough um so i kind of hit on this idea of like well i got this transmitter and this is the actual inspiration for the game sure you know what could it hurt and as with so many things this like yeah why not became like central um to the identity of it and in hindsight it seems very obvious if the entire game is about um sort of the vulnerability of building this playlist and talking to callers and and sharing these parts of yourself without ever really knowing if anyone's hearing you understanding you picking up your signal so to speak uh, if I can just do something that says, yeah, no, we're listening. Someone's here. Um, like, like that's cool. Um, and it's so good, uh, to be in there week after week, um, in the chat and people react to songs. Oh, I love this song. Oh, I haven't heard this in forever. Oh, I need to check this band out. Um, I mean, how validating is that for you? And you recommend a band to someone like, Oh, that's just great. I love it. Like what a feeling that is. Um, so yeah, it kind of like turned something that felt very lonesome and solo games by nature typically are uh into something i don't know a little more community building um yeah no it was the it was the sideshow that became central to the idea and i'm pretty delighted by that well yeah that's i i was very much already drawn to the game um I, you know obviously we have similar tastes in certain things since we both uh <laughs> have seen the things we have but mm-hmm. so i i was already drawn to it i am and obviously welcome to night vale i think probably had a a kernel in my head where I saw your cover and felt drawn to it because, Oh, this seems similar. Mm-hmm. Um, but seeing the, the aspect of it where I could record something and then you would broadcast it, even if just to your neighborhood, I was like, <laughs> man, that yeah. is awesome. And also that 
concept of maybe no one hears it, maybe five people hear it, and maybe they are mm-hmm. just weirded out <laughs> and they're like, "What is what? Did, what is that?" That was such an interesting concept to me, and from a writing standpoint, mm-hmm. um, I wanted to ask about the coming up with those scenarios. We talked about it a little bit already about the the songs you're choosing and why, um, mm-hmm. and then also the people calling in. Those are the things that I really want to talk about because that's an aspect of the the game as it's written that you're not recording, you're mm-hmm. reacting to. Um, is that something that you discovered during play tests? If you did play tests, how I, I'm interested in how play tests affect the writing of specifically solo games versus games for groups of people. Sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was, uh, I would say the idea of the colors was maybe a phase two idea out of let's say three or four um, kind of, it's kind of nebulous, but it basically wasn't one of the initial ideas, but came on pretty fast. Um, because you build a playlist, cool, you've got this thing, but is it just this blob of 12 songs? And really, I just wanted some structure to gameplay um, was the first impetus for that um, because it did really feel like, where we just picking 12 songs and calling it good because you're going to play this in 10 minutes, and I don't know if that's satisfying. Yeah. Um, so let, that allowed it to that gave it some structure like well you know i did briefly work in radio nothing exciting i was on a promo team but uh, one of my friends is a dj i spent a lot of time in the booth with him and all that so i've been around the side i you know i've been with him when he fielded call people calling in to win prizes and things like that you know like i saw all those things happen um and we would often just hang out in the booth late at night uh because kind of no one cared um really uh just to see how they go and, and that's part of the fun is that it does have these moments of pretty unpredictable connection um and i liked the idea of one you've got the uh it's kind of hitting you from two sides i guess the playlist is is hitting you from your attachment to music and memories uh, associated with it and this one is is basically asking you to just pull idea ideas out of your head and make them into people you're talking to um so to just you know here's a prompt it's this kind of person and they're talking about this where do you go with that and that really is like all these solo prompt games saying everything about you and nothing about anything else because there's no one else there. It's just you right? Um, reacting to these things. How do you fill in that picture says something about you. Um, and, you know, I think it ideally what the caller kind of mechanic does is what a lot of fiction does, which is sort of like pull a piece out of you and put it in a prism and make you really look at it as something separate from yourself for a moment to get a better understanding of it. Um, and it's easy enough to just do it like, Oh, it's kind of like drama and tea and gossip and that's fun. Um, but I like the idea that it can help you kind of work through some stuff. And I've had people say they've had fairly intense like moments when they're figuring out the storyline of their callers session after session, where it goes. Um, and all, all that's pretty highfalutin, I think, but I, I think it's, I don't know, it, it's another way, um, to kind of examine yourself, um, how you react to these prompts, what kind of lives you think um inform the kind of call that you're getting based on the card prompts like what led this person to this moment to reach out to me to be another voice in the void um that needed to be heard that needed to speak to someone that needed to communicate um and to just and this might be a funny way of putting it but kind of gets you out of your own head a little bit which is where the playlist stuff can take you do you um, think then okay. if you if you facilitated a way for people to record callers that other players could use would that change the core concept of the game Uh, i don't think so i mean i've got um i've got a dropbox folder out there for people to access and i've had a few people 
because I set up a Google voice number. It was free. It was super easy. Um, and uh, put it in the text that people can call and leave voicemails for anyone to use. Um, and I've got a small library. It's funny. I've gotten dozens of broadcast ones, but only a handful of those. Because yeah. I think that's, that is uh, even more weirdly intimate. Even if you're not identifying yourself, there's no names. I don't keep the phone numbers or anything. Like, I don't yeah. care. Send me a thing as long as it's not, like, racist or something. It's going in the directory. Yeah. Um, and all I'll title the file is the subject matter of what you talked about. Um, so it is truly anonymous. Um, but no, I, I throw that in there partly to um help people if they get stuck um but also to i don't know there's an intrigue to that you you know you read through the book and like oh my god there's already voicemails waiting for me if i want to go listen just hear these voices and i don't know there's there is a romance to hearing those voices sort of filtered through a phone call um you know like that there's a certain i don't know the words well enough to say but a certain tuning that happens to your voice recording through a phone call um, that just, uh, I, I don't know, there's a sort of retro uh, romance to that. Um, <clears throat> some of the folks who send in broadcasts to, to play get pretty elaborate. They like hire friends to be callers and they like record live conversations and stuff like they go all out, which is not required, but delightful to hear. Um, and those are those are very different experiences um, to the ones where, <clears throat> excuse me, um, for instance, a couple weeks ago, I had my first submission from the UK and he said the, the habit over there is not live callers, but they text the station, I guess. Um, so he would just do it as I got a text from so-and-so and just huh. talk about what they texted about. And it was like a very slightly different presentation on the idea, but it just, I don't know, it added something a little extra to it. Um, so, and that's part of what I like about the game. And part of what I tried to do was leave everything um enough of a rorschach that you could take this idea and spin it 15 different ways um so i've gotten a lot of variety in how people do that they do live calls they do the the read-offs they do so and so call during the break and they said this and here's my reaction um so yeah no i do think it changes the dynamic of the game a little bit um but i think i don't think that's a bad thing um like i think it, it creates different kinds of experiences and i like seeing where people go with it that i never would have thought of for myself it's also fun to think that you wrote the game as a solo game and there are so many ways to play it mm -hmm. that aren't solo. Yeah. Um, because that's one, one thing when I, when I first encountered solo games, um, because obviously, you know, Dungeons and Dragons and all those uh, tabletop role-playing games. Um, sometimes some of those games come with instructions for how to play them by yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, and I remember one time one of my friends was like, I can't imagine ever sitting down to a table and playing D and D by myself. I would feel like I had failed. <laughs> and I thought about that over and over again. Like, would I feel that way? And when I encountered solo games and there's a ton of them on, on itch, mm -hmm. um, which is where I found your stuff. Um, I was so interested in, in why maybe that was a, a thing that I was struggling to fight against that I had because I'm playing a game by myself mm -hmm. because I play single player games on like PlayStation and steam and whatever all the time. And I don't feel like I failed there. <laughs> right. So why would that be a thing that I worried about? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. No, I just, it's, it's not an uncommon feeling. And I, and a lot of people have hesitations and I did initially too, because I mean, I write for my day job and so many solo games are writing and I was like, I write for my day job. I write my own stuff. Do I want to write again? Um, yeah. You know, it just feels a little too much like homework. Um, but I mean, I 
conventional wisdom, and I, I have no idea how true this is, but conventional wisdom is that solo games really blew up during COVID for obvious reasons. Um, people couldn't play with other folks. And some folks went to like Roll20 or whatever, um, but a lot of folks wanted that weekly fix. Um, and no, I, I yeah, I think there's a... Um, well, listen, we're all adults. If we have a regular D&D group plays in the dark group, whatever it is, trying to get even like once a month on the books, uh, quite a challenge. Um, yep. So like, yeah, I could definitely see it servicing a need. And I tend to agree because I don't, while I am intellectually aware that many traditionally group games have solo modes, like it just never occurs to me um, to, to play them that way. It's like, no, that's for with people. This is for, for myself. Um, they're just two different things um, in a lot of ways. So how does writing a thing like Void um, compare to writing something like Hell Grinders, which you created mm-hmm. with Rachel Stevens? Let's talk about the differences between those two uh, sure. those two writing experiences. Sure, yeah. So Hell Grinders, just general context for that. Uh, it's based on Lumen, which is a very like high action um kind of system i think their their main inspiration is like diablo style games where you're just grinding through stuff as fast as you can either alone or with a group um and i started to work on that myself uh and just really wanted like i just want to do doom but a but a role-playing game like a you know just that kind of 90s what they now call boomer shooters um type of game and uh, rachel and i had a lot of similar sensibilities so we got together and worked on that um but yeah it's it's uh, it's the level of, I guess, the difference between writing a group game and a solo game. A solo game is um, scarier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, because I, I... It's all I, you. Yeah, it's all me. It's just from a pure, will this maintain my interest long enough to actually finish it point of view? I have to really care about the subject matter um, and and not just in like a fun riffing way. Like it needs to be, I need to be pulling parts of my brain out and putting them on the page um which void is most certainly that um so it is uh pretty lonesome um perhaps fittingly um pretty scary but also very satisfying to do um and group games tend to be a different and this is if anything else probably just an advertisement of my limited thoughts in this sphere than like actual objective reality but group games tend to be more about the fun the shared experience the uh, uh, creating a story together and I love my big dramatic games but a lot of them are like fun funny they're you know yeah. it's, it, it's that sort of thing so when I go into the mode of I want to do something that's just fun to write a fun riff I think I do think Hellgrinders is another like we found a real specific tone and just iterated on that for 20 pages um, there's a power in there called everything is chainsaws <laughs> um, so, <laughs> and so which is kind of what it sounds like it's like every weapon you pick up also has chainsaws on it um and that was the first thing i wrote for hell grinders <laughs> i was like that's it that's the game everything, that's the game right there everything springs out of everything is chainsaws um and so the group games i tended that's tends to be where i blow off steam and I, it's more like riffing with friends um versus a void or lighthouse or whatever is a little bit more like okay i'm gonna take two or three things i'm obsessed with and see how they sort of like interact with each other and then try to make something as compact as I can with that. And generally speaking, making it compact and lean and whatever is what I want to do across the board, period. Um, but for better or worse, I tend to view group games as a place to kind of goof off. Um, they just like have fun. Like I've done Hell Grinders and I did Kill Ratings before that, which is like your reality TV ghost hunters 
uh, and you're like sniping at each other and you're inventing this location and this ghost and at the end the ghost is chasing you out and trying to kill you and you're all throwing each other under the bus and trying to like because you're not here to make friends right yeah like it's just goofy stuff like it's just you know whatever and then there's the the hack of that targmargs uh, which i like to say is based on a true story and the idea is instead of being ghost hunters in a haunted location you are drunk in target with your friends trying to shop up stuff <laughs> and, <laughs> and no shit targ marks is a minus the shoplifting part is a favorite date night activity for me and my wife i will drive she will have a little flask with margaritas <laughs> and we'll just walk around looking at stuff in super target sounds um, awesome no it's a great time but like that's kind of i don't know for better or worse that's how i view group games i, I do have a more serious minded one uh, i've been picking at forever but i tend to goof off with friends uh when i'm making those well, yeah as you're saying that i was thinking mm-hmm. about the ways in which we play group games and even the ways in which group games are presented to us through media movies or, or novels or whatever and the idea of being emotionally bare mm-hmm. uh in a solo game just seems so much more well it seems more attainable first mm-hmm. of all mm-hmm. um but then as I'm sitting down with a group. It just seems almost like I'm just like, that's, this isn't the place for that. I like, I'm going to be the, it's the thing where everything's a chainsaw. Yeah. (laughs) And writing. So I'm interested in the ways in which you've learned from void and, and uh, the lighthouse game and Mm -hmm. hell grinders. And because you're the one that I know you're working on now, or at least one of them that I know about is no tell motel which seems a little bit more specifically narrative driven as far as a, like there is a like rising action. Would you say in that? Yeah, for sure. It's uh yeah, it's, it's kind of a murder mystery and I'm definitely trying to marry kind of both sides of those things where it's kind of fun and pop and, and all that. But also I, there's a pretty serious undercurrent to it um, as with lighthouse and void where I'm just kind of laying bare um <laughs> what it is like for me to move in the world and try to communicate with people. Yeah. Um, so much of no tell motel is the conceit is you're an overnight clerk at this sleazy ass motel where crimes are going on all the time. Um, someone has been killed. Uh, one of the guests was basically killed by one of the others. No one knows who did it. No one seems terribly interested in figuring that out. So you take it on upon yourself to try to solve that murder. And the way you're doing it is from this sort of like you have your, your, your perch at the desk watching night after night seeing what people do uh and you have this sort of like solitaire like spread that represents the rooms and the face cards are different guests that have personalities attached to them the number cards are things they do or rumors you hear about them so you're kind of building this case who you know who has rumors attached to them they were seen talking to the victim that night and they were they had a falling out with them a week ago and you're trying to like uh infer everything that's going on um, with it and it is playing with that prompt idea that i mentioned before where the prompts will ask you a question and you fill in the blank and more often than not in solo games whatever you decide is true um like it, you know uh, this happens what do you do okay well that's that's objective reality in the game you write it down that's what happened and no tell motel i want to introduce the idea that as with real life when you make assumptions you can be wrong um, and it can backfire spectacularly on you if you accuse the wrong person or accuse the right person, but do it the wrong way or whatever. There are lots of different ways it can go. Um, so I, I like to say it's kind of a nasty game in that regard and that it's fun. It's a little sleazy. You kind of decide how PG-13 or R-rated you want it to be. Um, but then you can uh, 
you can fuck up. You can fuck up real bad, <laughs> um, which I love, which I love. Um, and it, it's, it is kind of both of those things. Like I say, I want it to be like fun and like a big hook and like, oh, it's cool to see this cast of characters getting up to no good and who's, you know, who's shacking up with who and who's betraying who and all that kind of stuff. And it, it is almost like watching a soap opera. Um, I think even in the in the front text of it, which I have it written like you're like an employee manual for someone working at this place. That's like it's like going to the movies if they paid you to be there, um, you know, like you're watching this drama unfold. But once you start getting involved and once you start projecting and making assumptions and all that, that's when it gets real dangerous for you. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, I, I, I sorry, I feel like I wandered off topic a little bit there. Um, but uh, no, I, no. I think. I think that's all I think that's all relevant to to what we were talking about. I the the thing that popped up in my head as you as we were talking about it and watching things unfold and learning about characters does game writing versus prose or versus comics like fiction still does it feel like you are just creating characters, creating setting and then deleting things or just not even writing things like does it feel like you're not finishing or that you are just building in a different way Uh, yeah so much of it is figuring out how much to give um so i do tend to overwrite and then call back yeah (laughs) Um, but just generally speaking I, i just prefer the sort of the sculpture thing like throw out the whole block of wood and then you know carve it down um, from there and, and a lot of that is is also that the process of finding the tone what's important what's not what kind of stuff i just i love i love a banal statement that has a lot of hidden meaning to it i love that stuff um so like i that's i'm finding that i'm looking for that sweet spot always because i love to sort of knowingly wink at you uh with a line or two but the real trick is making sure that line hits if five different people read it it hits five different ways um, and that's that's kind of the fun of it. I, I sometimes liken the solo game writing, especially to all the fun parts of writing prose and none of the dreary stuff. <laughs> that's, um, that's where yeah. my head went. I was like, <laughs> yeah, you don't have to worry about like, is my middle dragging? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah. the players building the middle. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's there, there's all kinds of doldrums and and doubt and like all those things exist. They're just different ones. Yeah. Um. So, but no, it, it's I get to play in the space. I get to create a play space, a sandbox. Um, which was whenever I run games, group games, that's always my favorite thing is I just love to set up a city and a cast of characters and here's stuff that's going on and how do you choose to react if you do react. And my number one exercise with those is always if the players never showed up, what would happen? Yeah. Um, because that can help me dictate how the NPCs react and how the world reacts to them, whatever. And now that I say that, I feel like that's pretty much what I'm doing in Hotel Motels. I'm building a system that just goes until you start to interfere with it. Um, but that's um, awesome. Yeah, no, it, it's really fun finding that line. And, and yeah, to, the short answer is, yeah, I, I, I tend to overwrite a little bit and then step it back. I did that noticeably with Void, not so much in terms of word count. Uh, it wasn't ever a much bigger document than it is now, um, but I impressed too much and restricted too much uh and then like rolled that back once i realized what i was doing um and yeah no it, it's it is for me um similar to that copy editing job uh second only to just the raw creation part of it throwing out ideas what i love about this genre what i love about this idea get it all on paper is 
cutting back enough to leave space for the player to finish the story, um, but still having so much there that's so rich and that can be read differently every right. time. Uh, that's the that to me is the most fun part about the solo games. Let's talk about copy editing and uh, writing for your job uh, sure. versus writing for your uh, for the <laughs> yeah. joy of it. Because uh, I'm a I'm a copywriter, uh, <laughs> I'm an editor and a proofreader and all those things as well, um, and having to balance writing things where I'm like, Oh man, this, this hurts. <laughs> this hurts to write this, but I want to be writing yeah. the fun thing. Um, how do you, how, how's it feel for you to, to, to write for like maybe for a day job and then to, to write a game um, or a comic or, or whatever it is outside of uh, doing like copy editing or, or something that you're doing yeah. to pay the bills. If that That's, makes sense. It does. I had conversations about this pretty recently, and I wonder if that's a coincidence or if I'm just always kind of having these conversations. I but, bet. Uh, <laughs> I bet maybe it's the second one because, and maybe I'm the same way where I'm just. Yeah. I just can't shut. I have a podcast where I just won't shut up about it. Yeah. Yeah. No. I. I, I get it. Now I, so I work in advertising, and I have for 14 years, and I never planned it. Um, I was a copy editor to start, and that was 2008 ish, 2009, and when all the papers and magazines started to fold, and buyouts were happening, and journalism just kind of wasn't a thing anymore. And to be frank i was at best a c plus copy editor um so i it, like i liked being there i liked being around the journalists it ultimately wasn't where i needed to be um and i just sort of fell into advertising um a friend of mine was going to school for it he thought i had a knack for for copywriting um but that's you know it's it's the job is is i i write stuff to order um i still put a little bit of myself in there but as i was grousing with a coworker today because we had a project that we really liked that got close to the finish line and then just got killed. Um, and, you know, and, and, or, and there was another one where I was like, well, this is not what I would want to do, but this is what they wanted. So, you know, my old saw has always been uh, with my day job. I don't pay to write. I get paid to accept notes on my writing. Um, like I just, I try to keep, you know, it's like, oh, it's, man, that's true. Yeah. It's very like uh, cold comfort, but it's like, okay, this is what I'm here for. I'm accepting it. Uh, like I'm getting paid to turn a, you know, a or B plus pros into like C or C minus pros. Fine. Yep. Whatever. Um, I have a lot of mechanisms in place built up over those 14 years to protect myself emotionally from these things. Yeah. <laughs> um, my, my, one of my other rules is by round three, I just go into client gets what client wants phase and just like, okay, I have detached from this. Here's yep. exactly what you asked for. Um, but the other bit is I took a week off recently. Um, and just to do uh and also to kind of wrap up a lot of stuff before the no-tell motel crowdfund launch yeah i really enjoyed it had a great time cut together a trailer which i enjoyed doing wrote a lot of material kind of did up the press kit and all that um and i really liked that and i thought you know i had that fantasy of like i kind of get to wake up when i want and i get to i know what my ultimate deadlines are and i know i'll hit them so i'll work on my own time and if i want to work late at night i'll do that all that and i and i talked with some friends who are full-time uh comics people uh, and they're like, no, dude, you're living the dream right now. You have a job with a with insurance and 401k, and the second this becomes a job, your relationship to it, relationship to it completely changes. Um, one of my big rules, because I did lose so much time and money, blood, sweat, and tears uh, trying to get into comics uh, when I got into games, was I have two rules. One is uh, don't lose money, and two is only write exactly what I want to write. Yep. Period. Um, and as long as I have a day job where I kind of frankly eat shit a lot of the time, um, 
I can keep the gaming stuff, quote unquote, pure. I do not have to rely on it for an income. I have killed multiple gaming projects because I just wasn't feeling it. Yep. Uh, and even stuff is like, this would probably sell, but I don't want to do it. Um, so halfway, you know, I've got a graveyard of that stuff. The whole, the second, like uh, my best friend is a full-time comics letterer. He and I sort of started doing comics around the same time. He lettered my first graphic novel. He's lettered everything, single thing that I've, that I've done. And mm-hmm. um, we have both had that conversation multiple times about, how your relationship to the art changes Mm -hmm. and how it feels to literally just do that. And for him, he, he saw a meme one time and someone else had brought it up. It was like, if you work for yourself, uh, you can work whenever you want. And he's, and the meme was like, if you work for yourself, you never stop working ever. (laughs) You, you are always working. Mm -hmm. And that's scary to me. (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, also, I mean, just from like my perspective and I, maybe I'll, I won't leave this in or not, who knows, but when I saw what it would take to be a full-time comic book writer, I was like, I'm not mentally and emotionally mm-hmm. strong enough to write six books at a time. Like I can't right. do it. And the, the things that are needed to, to be a full-time writer, like I, I know what you mean when you said uh, you eat shit most of the time. Like I also <laughs> fell backwards into marketing and um, I can do it. And like I, I, I got laid off in January of 2023, um, but I've been freelancing and, and, you know, looking for more steady things, but it is the other, that other thing where I'm like, I have the armor that I have built up over these years that I'm going to carry it with me for into whatever the next thing is. Yeah. Uh, no, it's, you know, I, and I am thankful for the things I've learned in the fields I've been in. I've learned a lot about project management and those kinds of things, like just being, you know, and being giving good feedback and like all those kinds of things are valuable skills to have. Um, and yeah, no, I, I simply, I hit that point and this is many things led to this point, but when I decided, okay, I'm going to stop with comics is I did hit that same realization you did where I looked at the people who had quote unquote made it. Um, and a lot of it required a lot of compromise. Like I, I see it's like, am I doing all this so I can write a character I don't care about at Marvel? Like, is that really the dream? That and is, you know, <laughs> I seriously, that almost exact same thing where I was yeah. like, would it really mean them anything to me to write Green Lantern? Right. Or would, would I get there? And then they'd be like, you can't do that. And then I would be heart like, what would I do? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I already like, I already have the job where I take bad notes. Uh, some yeah. of the notes are good. Some of the notes are bad, but uh, I get paid a lot better than I would and I wouldn't be working on Christmas day. Yep. Um, so yeah, so I, I, I still enjoy the fantasy. I was talking with another friend who also uh, writes comics and role-playing games. Um, and we both have the fantasy of like, man, I just love a job like washing dishes or bagging groceries part-time like just to, and what we kind of narrowed it down to is like, I want a job where I don't have to decide anything uh, where, <laughs> where I could just, and I, we both know those jobs aren't, don't really exist. And those are like, right. they, you, speaking of being shit geez um but yeah just like what we want is to go somewhere six hours a day three days a week um put on earbuds listen to podcasts do something with your hands for a while uh let your brain wander and then come back to the world you know? i'm not kidding yeah literally last week i applied for a job and i was desperate for it to be part-time yeah and for it and i was literally i would be doing things with my hands and then I can, I don't have to take those shit eating notes and I like, yeah. I don't have to compromise or mm-hmm. be like, yeah, but 
it's hard because there's a part of me that feels, I don't know, maybe childish or, or almost like I'm, it's that, it's that thing where you almost like grade yourself, uh, against other people's struggle, um, Mm -hmm. and how it's, it's, it's marketing. Like it's not, I'm not, no one's beating the shit out of me. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. No, all things considered. And I, you know, I'm, I'm in a position now where I've got uh, a team and I can at least try to protect them, keep morale up and still find the opportunities to do fun stuff. And that's rewarding in its own way. And yeah, I try to just, uh, you know, entertain the fantasies, the grass is greener stuff. Ah, oh, what if I was doing games full time? Oh, what if I had a fun, you know, some somewhat mindless part-time job, whatever, generally speaking, I'm, probably in the position most writers would want to be in um ooh, that's wild to say out loud uh, <laughs> ooh, having a moment with that um, yeah well yeah. i hate but isn't that weird like imagine you let's say 10 years ago mm-hmm. the idea of what you would want your life to look like as a writer because i know when i was younger i was like i'm gonna be making money as a writer i'm like i'm gonna be writing that's it Mm -hmm. and when you get to the point where you're like if you're just writing and that's your full-time job you either are not making any money Mm -hmm. (laughs) or you're making a little bit of money and you're living rough yeah yeah and i i feel like that much I don't know. I just like a diversity of experience too. different things. Like if you're just writing all the time and nothing else, like, I feel like that also changes, changes you, changes your relationship to it, changes your ability to assess what you're doing. Uh, objectively yeah. understanding I'm putting big quotation marks around the word objectively. Sure. Um, but yeah, your ability to kind of hold it at a distance and like, okay, am I losing my mind here? Essentially. Um, am I right down the right path? And, um, yeah, no, I, I, I no similar. I mean, 10 years ago, yeah, I was basically before I got into advertising, I was real like dodging evictions and, you know, like, <laughs> just, yeah, not, yep. yeah, had, had a, had a pretty uh, interesting, very threadbare twenties uh, into my thirties. Uh, even when I was a copy editor, it was for a local nonprofit, whatever. So it was just no money at all. Yeah. Um, and yeah, for the most part, never, never did make much money until I got into this field. Um, and yeah, I know it's, so I've, done that side of it and yeah it's the romance of that wears thin pretty quick yep um yeah <laughs> yeah like eh, okay sure does yeah, there, yeah there's just so and I'm, I'm glad to see this with a lot of like i still have a lot of comic pro friends and all that and i'm glad to see that many of them fight back against the idea of the starving artist like the romance of that like it's just not true and yeah honestly it's pretty common now to see them pass around advice like if you can get a job or have a partner who does do it um you're not going to be uh what charles soul marvel who's a lawyer and is writing seven things and whatever that dude is a machine (laughs) yeah yeah well like him and bendis or like Mm -hmm. jonathan hickman like the the people operating at these levels where they can write so much at and Mm -hmm. at such a high level i liken it to someone being like i'll be i'm gonna be the next stephen king it's like no you're not yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) no for sure and and it's it can be painful to accept that but also pretty freeing um it's yeah. uh it's it's you know uh it is kind of a stephen king thing god needs to dish diggers too uh and uh the same is true in writing and and yeah like it's it's good to look at those folks to say okay well i'm probably not that um short of several different lightning bolts striking um, right that's not going to be me right um so i need to figure out what it is i do and and you know something i it's a smaller piece of it 
to loop it back to void. Um, but a part of it comes out of the experience I had writing those comics, which for the most part, I did just sort of toss into the void. I get the occasional review or feedback or whatever. Um, but mostly it was just like, well, here you go. Hope someone liked it. Um, but every now and then someone would come at me three years later and tell me, oh, I love that comic or whatever. Like those moments do still happen. Um, and, and so much about Void is in the piece that keeps it from being, for at least for me, depressing or, or whatever is there is a hopefulness to it. Someone out there probably needs to hear what you have to say, um, which fights back against that idea of like, what on earth do I have to say that anyone cares about? I'm, you know, yet another dude saying X, Y, Z, who cares? Yeah. And like, man, someone out there does um, like, and, and you don't, you may never meet them, um, but you, you might've hit them in a way you didn't anticipate. And that, and that to me is why the, um, the back cover like headlines are speaking of the void. You never know who is listening, which can be spooky. Uh, but it is also, you don't know. Um, and when I do the affiliate broadcast, I always kind of do my spiel up front, um, and end it on, um, you know, I don't require you to submit your show for broadcast, but I do recommend it because you never know who needs to hear what you have to say. Uh, and I, you know, I, that's the, I don't know there's a nobility to that. There's a, an honor to that. There's, a um, all those big romantic writer things, um if you just do the damn thing um you'll probably hit someone even if you're not stephen king that's okay um there's the uh i'm not going to speak to it well but there's sort of the theory that like we don't the world doesn't need fifty thousand stephen kings it needs fifty thousand people who are the storyteller at their campfire you know like my little group of people i'm the one who can help with that and that's a beautiful thing um and all those pieces can link up and really I don't know, shift things. But even if you just touch one person once, boom, you did it. You did the thing. I think that's a fantastic place to end. Do you know when, do you have a date right now for, for when no tell motel hits crowdfunding? Yeah. So March 15th is the final day. Um, so a little over a couple of weeks from, from right now. So yeah, we're about 50% right now. We're on track. Oh, it's, it's, oh, it's already, I didn't know it was oh, already yeah. live. Oh yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, it went live last Boy, I'm going to look at my calendar. Um, yeah, it went live last Friday. It's running for three weeks. Um, so February 23rd through March 15th. Okay. Yeah. We're, it's, it's, we're about, uh, halfway there in the goal, which I'm feeling good about. Um, it's a pretty tall ask, but I've got an artist, I've got a layout designer. I've got them all prepaid. Like I want, as I learned in comics, I want to bring everyone up, you know, I want to pay everyone. Yes. Uh, anyway, um, so that's trucking along and it's written, it's done. It's in layouts right now. Um, so the actual text of the book, one way or another, whether or not it funds, um, I would expect it to be live by April. Amazing. Uh, everyone check out, uh, no tell motel on, is it on Kickstarter? It is on crowdfunder. Yeah. It's just bannerless.game slash NTM for no tell motel. Awesome. Check that out. Check out void 1680 AM. Uh, it's super interesting. Uh, one of the most unique things out there, I think, uh, Ken, I super mm-hmm. appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. And Austin, if you do avoid broadcast, please send it to me so I Tr- can play it. Oh, trust me. <laughs> so as I was preparing for this, mm-hmm. I, it was all popping in my head. I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah, I know where I'm broadcasting from. I know what I'm going to be talking about. Mm-hmm. I started making my playlist already. So um, yeah. you probably yeah, have one in the future coming awesome. to you. Sounds like you got a stew going. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's hear it. Thank you again so much to Ken for stopping by and chatting with me about writing Void 1680 AM and so many other things. Uh, He and I have some pretty similar experiences as far as working and marketing goes. We've also worked on comics, and so that was fun to talk about, too. 
Um, his game really is one of the, the coolest things I, I've come across, and I can't recommend checking it out enough. So make sure you swing by his Bannerless Games itch page. Uh, at least you can get it there um, to, to check that out and maybe record your own your own radio broadcast and then send it to, to Ken, and he'll, he'll put it on YouTube or put it on his Neighborhood AM broadcast uh, channel. I definitely am going to be doing it, so watch out for that. I'll, I'll link it everywhere that I can. Uh, Thank you to you again for listening. As always, I really appreciate it. Swing by my website, austinrwilson.com, and my itch.io page. All that stuff's linked in the show notes, as always. Uh, Dynasty of Blood is something I'm super proud of and and having a lot of fun writing right now. So check that out. And there will be some new art coming in the next volume. So you can look forward to that. Thank you again. And I'll talk to you next time. (laughs) 